This is Cosmic Coffee Time, the place where we take a look at what's happening somewhere in the universe in about the time it takes to have a coffee. It's cosmology in a cup. I'm Andrew Prestige, and we have a really significant episode today. It's the Cosmic Coffee Time Women in STEM special. That's women in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. Our guest is Dr. Kate Bieberdorf. Kate is a professor of chemistry at the University of Texas, and she has a PhD in inorganic chemistry. As Kate the chemist, she's a science entertainer, the author of a whole bunch of science books for kids, and is a self-confessed pyromaniac, as well as diminishing the stigma around women in science. Kate's new book is It's Elemental, The Hidden Chemistry in Everything, and she joined us from Austin, Texas. Dr. Kate Bieberdorf, congratulations on the new book and welcome to Cosmic Coffee Time. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I've seen some of your TV appearances with chemistry experiments, and it seems almost every picture of you on the internet has some massive fireball in it as well. Have you blown anything up today? Today, no, but I did just approve a couple designs for an explosion I'm doing next week on live TV. And being a being a chemist and a science entertainer, are you more at home in the lab or on the stage? Oh, that's tricky. Honestly, I think I'm more of a performer. There's a reason why I've reached into this science communicating field. So I think for on the stage these days, I, I, 10 years ago, I would have said in the lab, but now I mean, on the stage with a blowtorch, that's, that's my safe space. <laughs> And Kate, you're a great ambassador for science and women in science. I'm a science fan. I love science and cosmology enough to want to share it with other people. And it seems like something that should be really universal, yet it's not an area that's been known for its level playing field in the past. Why has there been such a gender imbalance? Oh, geez, how much time do you have? (laughs) Um, (laughs) It honestly can be we can point to it at a number of different places. So one of the things that we've seen is there's a drop off when girls go through puberty. Um, And one of the things we can point to is that when young girls answer a math or a science question incorrectly, they're so hard on themselves and they immediately think like, oh no, I can't do math and I can't do science with just one mistake. Where for whatever reason, younger boys are easily more easy, ah, uh, where younger boys are able to kind of just let it roll off their back and and try again and go after these questions again. So we, we lose a bunch of girls during puberty. So one of my main goals is actually to get to them early, get to them when they're five, six, seven years old, really get them excited about science, build their confidence up. So when they inevitably make a wrong answer, I mean, we're all human, right? It's going to happen. They can just let it roll off their back. They have the confidence to keep going. And then hopefully someday they're going to change the world. And people who've done well often have a particular person in their world who first recognises their talent and who knows enough about the subject for their opinion to be credible, and that gives them the confidence to keep going. Was there a person like that in your world, someone who made you believe that you could do well in science? A hundred percent. Yes. Uh, this absolutely has to do with Mrs. Kelly Palsrock. She was my first chemistry teacher. Um, I had her when I was 15 years old, my sophomore year of high school, and she was just exciting and she was energetic and she would run around the classroom. And even though she taught the same thing five times in a row that day, she still made it fun and exciting. And I just, I loved it. And so honestly, ever since I was 15, I knew I wanted to be a scientist because of this one incredible woman. And 
I actually dedicated this book, It's Elemental, to her um, as a just kind of a way to say thank you for putting me on this career path because I've just I've loved every moment of it. And who are your role models from public life? Oh, geez. It depends on what I'm looking at. Um, I'm a big RBG fan. Um, I love, I don't want to go into politics with you, but I love strong women and I love people who say how, say what they're feeling. Um, but I, I also like stronger women like my editor, Jill Santapalo. Um, she's, she's this woman who uh, has basically succeeded in her her career forever and ever and then stepped back and wanted to become a mom and is now figuring out how to do the the work-life balance and I just love her for that um so there's just a lot of different models I have in my life but most of them are strong women who go after their dreams and no matter what they never ever ever give up <laughs> and role models are important and we tend to look to people who've had similar experiences to ourselves and when they do well it's meaningful for us and back in the past, maybe those people didn't realize the influence they had, but now they know their role models. And you seem hugely aware of your influence on women and well, young women and girls in particular. And you say it out loud, get into science, stay in science, that you can do this. Well, I think representation matters, right? If you can see it, you can be it. And so it's important to me to be a little bit feminine, uh, lean into that a little more than I would probably in my my normal life. But when I teach classes at 8 a.m., I am in my pencil skirts and my blouses. I've done my hair, my makeup, my heels. I want my students to see that it's okay to be feminine and also be wicked smart and be able to go toe-to-toe with anybody who wants to talk about inorganic chemistry. Um, So it's something that's important to me. But I also try to preach the slingshot method, which is something where once you have uh, done well in your career, once you've established yourself, make sure you reach back to the next generation of girls and make it just a little bit easier on them and then slingshot them over you. I mean, on my deathbed, I really don't care if anybody knows who Kate the Chemist is. Like, it doesn't really matter. What I want is for girls to be able to pursue their dreams and there not to be a stigma at all around math or science or, you know, being a nerd. Like, who cares? Being a nerd is cool. Another person who knows how important role models are is actor and producer Amy Poehler. I'll admit I was a bit of a latecomer to her work. Um, I got into Parks and Recreation just this year, believe it or not, where Amy plays Leslie Nope. And um, you were included as one of Amy Poehler's smart girls. That's great recognition. Oh, that organization is wonderful. For those of you who haven't heard about it, basically what they do is they say, uh, or they honor anybody who is considered to be a smart girl. And so to be a smart girl, you have to identify as female and use your brain. That is it. So you can be a smart girl in poetry in and in, in dancing and in artistry, honestly, anything in my particular smart girl status, it has to do with chemistry. Um, and they were one of my first groups to actually believe in me. They flew me across the country to LA and New York. And I started doing things with them on a bunch of different events. We raised tons of money for um, one of these charities. Uh, it was just a wonderful way to kind of dip my toe into the, the TV world. And what better role model to have than Amy Poehler, who, by the way, is just like Leslie Nope on Parks and Rec. I mean, the Leslie Nope character is amped up just a little bit more, but she's just really that kind, wonderful person that you just love to be around, which is why she has such a great organization. It's great when kids get into science And kids are not afraid to love stuff and you believe them when they do love it because they can't fake anything either. Um, Do you you think it's important to, to win their hearts with science and then their minds will follow? 
100%. Absolutely. I think with the young kids, especially if we're talking five, six, seven years, years old, you want to show them the experiment, let them do do the hands-on thing, see the bubbles, see the color changes. And then they're going to ask why. I mean, that's what all kids do. I know I drove my parents crazy by asking why, how does this work? They used to count the number of questions I would ask on these certain trips as we drove, drove across the country. Um, so it's just, it's something that you can completely encourage young kids to do. You can encourage them to build their critical thinking skills just by combining baking soda and vinegar in your kitchen. It's a really easy way to get their minds active. Active, and I think it's just really fun to share that joy with a young kid. This is the Cosmic Coffee Time Women in STEM special. We're talking with Dr. Kate Bieberdorf. Australia has an official position of Australian Government Women in STEM Ambassador. That position is held by Professor Lisa Harvey-Smith at the moment. She's an astrophysicist and she appears on Factual TV here in Australia. And we've also got uh, Professor Tamara Davis, who's another astrophysicist who appears on Factual TV as well. Years ago, we wouldn't have known about them. We've come a long way, but still there's a long way to go. But what do you think life would have been like for someone like Marie Curie, one of the real pioneers of women in science 100 years ago? Can you imagine it? I often can I? I would love to imagine that. I wish we had the technology to have the recordings of her voice and the in the TV and her mannerisms, because I would just I'm itching to know how she would have taught the material, how she would have explained it. Um, that's something I really wish. I think we missed out on, um, but it's, it's sad because the women you just mentioned, I'm like vaguely aware of them. And so thank you for bringing them to my attention. Cause now I get to go uh, fangirl over to new women in STEM, which is something I love to do. Um, there's something I've, I've built, which I kind of jokingly refer to as my STEM army. And so I travel across the United States and I collect women um, as cryptic as that sounds to be part of my STEM army. And we essentially are just advocates for STEM. When we hear a microaggression against STEM, or if we hear an increase, statement about STEM. We try to correct it. We speak up for scientists and we just try to make science and chemistry feel like it's a totally accessible and very, very fun. We're talking with Dr. Kate Bieberdorf about women in science and her new book, It's Elemental, The Hidden Chemistry in Everything. You kick off the book with a great quote from John Green, and I'm interested why you chose it. Something along the lines of nerds are allowed to be unironically enthusiastic about stuff. And it's true. We talk about grammar nerds or you're a nerd for sports results or antique mousetraps or whatever, whatever it happens to be. Uh, nerds just love something. Mm -hmm. the, the thing I love about the quote is the very end of it, where it's saying, um, if you, how does it go? Something like, if you admit that you're, when you admit you're a nerd, you're just saying that you like stuff. Um, that's all it is. And, and I, it just resonated with me when I read that. Cause it's so true. I am a nerd about chemistry. I like chemistry a lot more than most people. I talk about it too much. Um, that's one of my faults. I know that, but I also know that when I'm out at a bar with friends, after a couple of cocktails, they immediately start throwing their chemistry questions my way. I can't tell you how many times they've been like, well, I just heard about this molecule in my new face mask. Does this work? What do you think about this? Or, you know, anything or the things with COVID. I mean, all these questions come up and it's really fun to be nerdy about something because you have some answers because you understand how the world operates around you. You acknowledge that chemists sometimes lose their audience probably the same way a lot of experts do. They start to use jargon and there's a lot of assumed knowledge. And before you know it, your audience starts to daydream about a beach somewhere, 
uh, or their eyes glaze over. But you take a very different angle in this book. I do. Yeah. So my parents are psychologists. And so one of the things I was raised on is William James's theory of emotional memory. And part of that theory states that if you have an emotional response to something, you're more likely to form a memory. And so the one way I know how to get emotional responses from people is with fire, with explosions, with loud noises, with just visual things. So I know that at 8 a.m. I'm competing with all the social media out there. They have their phones, they have their computers. And so if I can basically put on a performance, on that stage for 75 minutes, I can hook their attention. They can have an emotional response to something. And then the important part happens where I can actually teach the fundamental principle. I can talk about the first law of thermodynamics or whatever it is I'm trying to teach. Um, And because, I mean, let's be honest right now, all these students are on their phones and you're competing with their phones. And so what, how can you beat a phone? It's with fire, it's with liquid nitrogen and passion. I mean, that goes a long way. The subtitle of the book is The Hidden Chemistry in Everything, and that's literally everything. Chemistry is everywhere. And I like your take on things that are labelled chemical-free. Oh, my goodness, man. Yes, I can get in such trouble with this because... Everything is a chemical. Everything. Oxygen's a chemical. Water's a chemical. If you can see it, breathe it, touch it, it's a chemical. So if you see something like a a bottle or something that you're trying to be encouraged to purchase, if it says it's chemical free on there, that's an incorrect statement. And so you should already have red flags going off in your head that maybe something is being misrepresented. But oh man, that was like nails on a chalkboard for me. Nothing is chemical free. (laughs) And you take us through some really interesting things that we didn't know about at all and explain some of the things that we did know, how uh, ice cream doesn't melt, it fuses, and the, and the beauty and power of hydrogen bonding using the medium of the Canadian TV show Ice Road Truckers. Yes, I can't help it. See, I've been teaching college freshmen for way too long. I know that they don't want to you want me to use analogies of like this carbon bond as like this hydrogen bond or anything. So I go straight to things that are in our current culture. So yes, I talk about hydrogen bonding in relation to ice road chuckers. I also explain double replacement reactions by talking about how uh, Blake Lively and Ryan Reynolds got together because that whole story just just like how that chemical reaction went down. Uh, but I've found that if you can be a little silly. If you can be a bit humorous, a bit odd, you know, embrace your weirdness. I'm okay with that. But if you can use unique examples, students and readers are much more willing to give you a couple pages, a couple, a couple more sentences so that you can actually teach them what's important. Um, so once I teach you double replacement reactions, then I can start diving down into the deeper, cool, cool stuff about all these things that you actually do experience in your everyday life. We talk a lot about astronomy here, and in astronomy there are some huge numbers, like the distance between planets and stars. They're massive numbers, and astronomical is the adjective we use for, for, for large numbers. And there's also some huge numbers in, in chemistry, and I really like that unit, the mole. How can we possibly understand how big that number is? Well, first of all, for those of you who don't remember what the mole is, the mole is one of our favorite things. It's not a sauce. It's not a little animal. It's a unit. Um, And it essentially tells us how many of of something or how many atoms there are in a certain substance. And so just like we all know that a dozen is equal to 12, or we would associate a marathon, at least in the US, with 26.2 miles, um, you know, whatever it is, how you associate it. uh, We now know that a mole is equal to 6.02 times 
times 10 to the 23rd things. And that is just a gigantic number that is sometimes really hard for people to wrap their head around. And one of my favorite examples is this guy who was trying to explain it to his students and has become notorious for uh, his explanation is that if you were given a mole of pennies on the day you were born, and then you threw away a million dollars every single second of your life, you would still have 99.99% of your money at the, at, on your hundredth birthday. Like that is so much money. 10 to the 23rd is such a gigantic number. And so I always use that example in the beginning of class because I want my students to really understand how many atoms we're really talking about. When I say we have seven moles, not just one mole, we have seven moles of a substance. Like that's so many atoms. I like those analogies. And you use those analogies all through the book, chocolate chip cookies, there's skeletons in a haunted house. And you mentioned Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively's marriage, which was a great analogy. You'd be devastated if they ever, if they ever broke up. I would be heartbroken. One time my editor sent me a notification and it was just talking about how cute their their uh, marriage was. It was some kind of Google alert, but we both kind of held our breath because we were like, what is the announcement? What's the announcement? Because if they had broken up, we were going to have to go back to the manuscript <laughs> and adjust the analogy because I didn't want to, you know, rub salt to the wound if she, somehow she happened to read the book, you know. <laughs> and in the book, you take us through a day and all the chemistry that happens during a day. It seems like a Saturday to me. It starts with um, it starts with breakfast and the chemistry of caffeine, and then there's exercise, the beach, all the way through to happy hour and maybe even date night. It's a great way to frame all of that everyday chemistry. How did you come up with the idea to step through a day like that? Well, it was quite a process, to be honest. The very first draft I had, I just went through and was answering questions that people had asked me over the years, things that I knew people wanted to know the answers for. And the very first draft I submitted, honestly, read a lot more like a textbook. And my editor and I talked and we're like, this isn't landing, right? We don't like how this sounds. And we started brainstorming things. And it was like, this is it. We're going to convert it to a day. I can sort all this. We started pulling it out. So I went back through the entire manuscript, reshaped it into a day, and I just Oh, I love where we landed. It feels so good. It's so easy to go through it. And I was able to build the topics on top of each other. So when we start with breakfast, I kind of introduce proteins so that by the time when we get to baking the pie, you feel a lot more comfortable with the terminology and you're ready to dive into some of the deeper chemistry. But it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, to be completely honest. I'm a scientist, right? So writing 80,000 words in a book is something that is really daunting. And I haven't had to do that since writing a dissertation. And so this was something that was so fun to do. And I'm so proud of where this book landed because it's just, it honestly is the, my favorite parts of chemistry throughout a very busy Saturday. <laughs> Dr. Kate Bieberdorf, one final question for you. I get the feeling that this book could have been twice as long or longer. What did you leave out that you would have loved to have included? Okay, I'll tell you one, because there are a lot of things that definitely are on the cutting floor. Um, but I had quite a long tangent about soda because I'm a Diet Coke drinker and a lot of my students know that. And so I wanted to kind of address aspartame and, you know, sweeteners and artificial sweeteners and all that. And it just, I couldn't find a good place for it to sit. I tried to put it in breakfast. It didn't make any sense. Tried to put it at the beach. It just doesn't fit there either. So that I had to cut out. But hopefully in my next book, I can find a way to kind of sneak that in there because it's just one of those pieces where I, I just, I like talking about it. Our guest today for our Women in STEM special was Dr. Kate Bieberdorf, author of It's Elemental, The Hidden Chemistry in Everything. Our listeners will be able to find it using some of the links in the show notes. 
Kate, your enthusiasm is infectious. It's been great talking with you. And thanks for joining us on Cosmic Coffee Time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's Elemental is published through HarperCollins. And Dr. Kate's website is katethechemist.com. Links are in the show notes. Thanks for joining us. I'm Andrew Prestige, and I'll see you again soon for another Cosmic Coffee Time.